Dynasty Football Network presents Super Flexible Podcast with your two co-hosts, Tudrick and Swags. Welcome back to Super Flexible Podcast. Here again with another very special guest. I am, like I said before we hopped on, very humbled to be here with you this evening. I've got JJ Zach Arison. Did I say that right, Zach Arison? You did. You crushed it, man. There, there's so many, so many Zachariasons out there that I get, but yeah. you crushed it. Yeah, you have like, dude, your your intro to your. Um, you've got a couple shows, but I'm speaking of the late round podcast right now yeah. and it's just like, dow, dow, dow. dude, like it's not <laughs> even really a song, but for whatever reason, I'll be like driving my kids to school or something like that. And it's like going off in my head. I <laughs> love it and I hate branding. it. And I'm just like, why the hell is this the kind of stuff in my head now? But yeah, yeah, absolutely love that show. Like there is something about the way you do that show it's a solo and like i don't want to say you're a good storyteller because you're not really telling stories you're (laughs) you're talking about like important stuff to us like the stats or your opinion so in a way they're stories whether they're true or not but like to anybody that isn't listening to jj or following him or what be it i mean if you are into anything fantasy and I mean, they're probably already listening to you, but, but I mean, if you want to do a solo podcast, go listen to JJ because JJ, just the way you do it, it brings me in and I'm always, you're, you're, I almost said your stories, you, you, you have short stories. <laughs> so your short stories, just like they're done. And I'm just like, what the hell? Like, damn it. Didn't even make my whole drive today. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i really like i approach the show to be more of like a a ted talk kind of uh each episode in a way i mean obviously there's like redundancy with like the mailbag show and stuff like that mm-hmm. but um i really wanted to take these like micro subjects in fantasy like uh you know handcuffing a running back and like explore it and dig into it and explain why things are the way that they are like a couple weeks ago i did uh when to bail on unproductive rookies and dynasty and, and stuff yep. so it was, it's, it's more so, you know, I, I just really enjoy digging into those like really micro topics that I think kind of get underserved and not covered enough in the fantasy space. But it's also your delivery. And yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's to be fair, to be fair, it's a, a heavily edited podcast to the point where like I will be uh, re saying things while like it, when you, when you listen to us go back and forth today, it's a totally different dynamic the, when I'm having a conversation with someone. Out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm I mean, editing look, shit. There's no, there's no, there's no, I mean, look, I have living the stream, my other podcast, I don't edit anything. Uh, but, but with the lay round podcast, it's very much, I need that cadence to be the way that it is. Cause I think that it helps, uh, get the right point across and helps tell that story as you put it. Um, so yeah, I mean, there, there are definitely things where I say something and I'm, I say in my head, I'm like, this isn't, this doesn't really make any sense or this, this didn't feel right. So I just say it again. And then I just edit it in. Sure. And, and when you are doing it, alone like that you do have the opportunity to even right. like, hit pause really quick if you want to or but the that i mean that's awesome that i mean you're being so honest about it like and uh letting that out but i mean for for me really still i mean even if the editing is going into it like everything i said still like holds true like i think you need to go listen to jj and and learn from that because it keeps me there i'm excited to see another one come up appreciate that so um, 
last week, like, and I'm not sure if you want to do this because I didn't mention it to Mark. Last week I had Mark Schofield on and we kind of accidentally um, started to talk about the grind really quick at the beginning of the show and it, not not my grind, but his. Yeah. And like I've seen you mention on Twitter before, like, um, and I don't know what this derived from or what made you want to bring it up, but um, in the past you've mentioned like the hard work, like take every job, be nice, um, keep doing, you know what I mean? Like don't say no, which I mean, even to today you're showing your grind by um, coming on this show by all means is much smaller than your show and you're still just happy to be here with me. And I think that that's awesome. What though, like throughout your grind, like what about the dark side? <laughs> what do you what do you mean by the dark side the uh the the awfulness of the grind the 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 negatives of the grind yeah this the stuff that people may not see if they're yeah if you know we're just into jj sure. and and that awesome delivery have of your show but it doesn't really speak for how hard you've actually worked to get there or the things you've had to give up yeah yeah i think it's fair i mean i don't want to overstate like you know, this is the toughest thing in the world that anyone can do. And, and, you know, I think that we get a lot of that at times from people in the fantasy industry and it's, it's a competitive industry in general. I mean, it's hard to find full-time jobs. It's hard to, to do this for a living. Um, but you know, I don't want to say that I'm just like, you know, just constantly like not seeing my family or anything like that. Sure, you know? sure. Um, but I will say, you know, there's a lot of stuff. So, uh, number fire, which is where primarily my, my writing goes, we were bought by FanDuel about four years ago. And so I've been a FanDuel employee for, for a while now. And I think a lot of people probably wouldn't know or see what goes on more on the back end in terms of like content strategy and, and what we're really trying to do on, on that side of things, whether it be with NumberFire. It's been with NumberFire for a while, but you know, hopefully over the next year or two, you'll see a lot more FanDuel branded stuff. Um, and, and there's a lot of, of strategic input and, and thinking that I do on that end, that's a large chunk of my job, especially during the off season um, that I, I would assume people would have no idea because the exposure that people have to me is they see content that I write or they listen to me on a podcast or they see a video sure. or something of me. Yeah. Um, so that that's par- probably the biggest thing that like it's not just this like content grind. And I think it's important for anyone who you know wants to get a job doing this kind of stuff is to, to have at least other skill sets that you can offer up and say, you know, I'm not like my, my back, my degree was in marketing, my background's in marketing. Um, and so I, I think it's important to at least have some sort of, uh, thing that, you know, you should be a, a multifaceted individual in terms of, of your talent and your skill set and what you can offer as opposed to, I can write content really well. It's great, sure. but you know, there's only so much you can do with something like that. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's definitely it. And, you know, just during the season, it's just in general, uh, a grind whenever, you know, I'm doing five podcasts a week. I'm doing a TV show that we have on our, on our channel TVG, which is a horse racing network, but we started to do more sports betting stuff. Um, you know, there's video work that I'm doing. And then all the while we're still managing the content engine at number fire and Fanduel and stuff. So during the season, it's much more of a grind, but fortunately during the off season, I'm able to hop on shows like, like, and talk to you, uh, about fantasy and doing the stuff that we love. Cause at, at the core of it, you know, I'm passionate about this stuff. I love fantasy football. And Throughout that talk, you reminded me like how horribly I just brought you into the show. So JJ's <laughs> actually just—he's not just a part of Fanduel. He's the editor in chief in Fanduel and Number Fire. 
um, host of the Late Round podcast we kind of br- brought up. You brought up Living the Stream or Live the Stream with Denny Carter. Um, you're a busy dude. Like, I, I, I don't know. I missed a lot. Best, I pretty much just read you, read you his Twitter profile. Um, but yeah, follow at Late Round QB. A- anything else? Like, I mean, what am I missing there? No, that's it. That's 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 the crux of it, man. Uh, you know, it's that's that's really the uh, the stuff I'm producing. The content's all on number fire. You know, I got my podcast. The late round podcast is kind of my baby at this point. Um, and then living the streams kind of where I'm I'm able to kind of put my hair pull my hair put my hair down and and just uh be be a dad and be stupid and say stupid things and be a little bit more uh you know unfiltered. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Well, you can you can let it out tonight as well. Nice, nice. Um, so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your Superflex startup strategies before we got much further into this and just kind of, um, see where it goes from there. And we are talking dynasty tonight for the most part, not like a Scott Fishbowl setup or something sure. like that. Um, but do you, how far are you willing to go with a late round quarterback in your dynasty startup? Yeah. So if we're talking, are you talking Superflex from that perspective? Yep. Yeah, so um, I think that the big thing that people should always keep in mind is, uh, first off, the late-round quarterback strategy, obviously uh, more of a single-quarterback idea, yep. uh, single-quarterback single league idea. I mean, I, I wrote the ebook back in 2011, 2012, when people were drafting quarterbacks early very, very consistently. I mean, That's like, right. Also when I, author of the late-round quarterback. Yeah, so when I when I publish, which is so like I I go back and I read that thing. It's so bad. Like no one buy that book if it's still out there. <laughs> it, it, it's 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 seriously it's terrible. The analysis is awful. Um, but the idea was there at least. Um, but you know back then, 2012. If you look at ADP, there were five quarterbacks that were drafted in the first two rounds of drafts, which is just out of control to even think about at this point. But that's how it was. So I wrote the ebook and and you know the idea, the philosophy behind it. I, I really I, I break it down sort of into four major buckets as the the reason why quarterbacks are just inherently devalued in fantasy football. The first one is supply and demand because you're starting one of them, right? And and so the the supply is there's 32 starting quarterbacks, uh, but the demand is you only need one of them on your fantasy team. There's the idea of opportunity cost, which means you know when you draft a uh, position early, what are you foregoing when you draft that position early? So if you get a running back early, you're foregoing the opportunity to have a wide receiver, a tight end, or a quarterback. There's predictability. Quarterbacks are the most predictable uh, of the the main positions in fantasy football. And then there's just general variance where you don't see as much variance week to week at the quarterback position uh, than, you, than you might from other positions in terms of the highs and the lows because quarterbacks just inherently have this high floor. So you can still take those concepts and push them into superflex strategy and superflex leagues. The thing, the things that change the most are, you know, scoring variance doesn't change that dramatically in terms of how they're scoring. I mean, you, you, instead of comparing to a baseline of maybe a QB 12 to 16, you're comparing it to a QB 24, 25. But realistically, there's not that much difference between a high end QB two and a low end QB two in terms of scoring. Um, and then if you look at something like opportunity costs, it's a little bit different because quarterbacks can dry up during your draft, as you know, in a super flex draft, whether it be a startup or a regular redraft. Um, so from that perspective, you know, you have to be a little bit more careful. But, you know, the reason opportunity cost is such a big deal for quarterback is is because you can get them so late generally and, and you can still get usable quarterbacks fairly late, uh, depending on the format and super flex leagues. Um, but the, the big thing that changes is, is the supply and demand, because obviously you're now starting more than one quarterback in your league, you know, you should assume that every team is is wanting two quarterbacks. 
But in the end, the predictability aspect is really what's important here. Quarterback is the most predictable position week in and week out in terms of we're looking at a list of players and we can we can project how that player is going to perform most at quarterback or, or best at quarterback than any other position. And the main reason for that is because the sample of a quarterback and, and what he does is is huge because he's dropping back to pass 30 plus times a game, whereas you know a wide receiver needs to be targeted, a tight end needs to be targeted, and a running back needs to be on the field in order to see see volume. So because quarterback is predictable, what you can hypothetically do in a super flex league is grab hold of a platoon of quarterbacks who are pretty average and mediocre in general and pinpoint matchups and pinpoint uh, instances where that quarterback might uh, be, be in a favorable spot and then use those quarterbacks. So if you translate that to dynasty, then you can take instead of thinking of of just these average mundane quarterbacks, you just have to then factor in uh, longevity of these players. So players like you know, a couple of years ago, if you would have just gotten Matthew Stafford or even an Andy Dalton, let's say, mm-hmm. uh, it would have been fine in Dynasty Superflex because you knew that they would have a couple of years, two or three years uh, with their respective teams. And you could just play that carousel and just kind of shift guys in and out each and every week. Now, obviously, you know, you want to hit on guys, you know, you want Kyler Murray, you want to be able to draft him or you want, you know, you want players who are going to be there who are going to give you high end production year in and year out. Uh, but realistically, in Dynasty, when I'm playing in Superflex leagues, which is actually becoming the majority of my Dynasty leagues at this point, yep. um, when I'm playing in those leagues, I'm really trying to get three or four guys who I know are going to be starters, regardless of how well they, how well they play football, uh, who I know are going to be starters that I can rely on then for about two or three years. Yeah, uh, two or three years. So, Matt Ryan? Yeah, he's a he's a good example of that. I mean, I I, I still think Stafford's an, an interesting example of that. I know that they're talking about um, whether they're drafting Tua or moving on from Stafford after this year. Um, but he's still a player that that fits that mold to a degree. But a guy like Matt Ryan, you know, a lot of times what this comes down to is you're targeting aged veterans who are going to be on, you know, who are going to be starters for X amount more years, and hopefully that X is five or six, like a Matt Ryan potentially. Um, but that that's really the the idea of it because generally you can get those guys a lot cheaper than even a Daniel Jones who we don't know exactly the kind of quarterback he's going to be but if you look at startup ADP he's a fringe QB1 slash a firm QB1 and a lot of that has to do with age so um yeah like a, a guy like Matt Ryan is a perfect type of, of of example of a quarterback that you would want uh because he's he's a little bit cheaper given his age but you know realistically he's going to give you that production in that short window Okay, so in a super flex startup draft, are you going to take Mahomes or Barkley? I'm taking Barkley. Yeah, I see. I'm, I'm, man, and I'm an advocate of uh, er, draft quarterbacks early and often in mm-hmm. a super flex startup. So a little bit different than your approach, but I'm still taking Barkley there. Yeah, I mean, you just yeah, I mean, look even that what Lamar did this year and the price that people paid for Mahomes in the startup versus, and I know Lamar's there that in our 2020 drafts for right. that high high draft spot, but he wasn't last year, and I feel like there's a lot of times a guy like that, right? Or Ryan yeah, Tannehill. It, yeah, there there are guys that that pop uh, each season at quarterback in some way. I mean, the same thing happens at running back to a degree, but generally speaking, you know, the elite running backs, the guys who are giving you still the biggest edge in fantasy football. Um, those guys are almost always, you know, high draft, high draft capital, early round picks when they're coming out. Um, and guys that we know are, are likely to be these elite studs, which is, um, you know, another reason why the, the replaceability of getting those elite guys is, is, is pretty low. I mean, it's, it's, it's tough to, to replace guys like Saquon or, 
Zeke or Christian McCaffrey. Yep. Now, when you're drafting a, a wide receiver, um, age aside, do you want to attach them to a younger quarterback you trust? Like, do the guys with does Michael Thomas worry you because of Drew Brees? Um, I, I know that he seemed to be a little bit quarterback proof when we saw Teddy throwing it to him. It may be a little bit of Taysom Hill, but do you look around at those guys and? Um, I mean, you mentioned Akil Harry as a sell, but I mean, one thing, I mean, Br- Brady might not even be there. Right. So, um, yeah. 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 So I, I would say in an ideal world, yeah. You know, you would love to to only have guys that, that are associated with these strong quarterbacks. But if you're looking, you know, again, I, I try to look from a dynasty perspective in like a two to three year window, usually a three year. Um, and when you do that, uh generally the quarterback that they're associated with, they're probably going to still have that quarterback. Um, but with wide receivers, you know, talent usually wins out more than, than uh, say the running back position. Uh, you know, the running back position is very much a, you know, I, I build prospect models with wide receivers and running backs and draft capital is so much more important in terms of increasing that predictiveness of the model for running backs than it is wide receiver. So wide receiver just inherently talent matters a lot more. I mean, we've seen, DeAndre Hopkins in the past because he's this elite talent. We've seen him perform, I and mean, he had the one year with Brock Osweiler. But we've seen him perform uh, with with below average quarterback play pretty consistently until Deshaun Watson obviously came, and now you just feel a little bit better um, about that floor for Hopkins. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I ideally want to associate the, the wide receiver with a, a good young quarterback. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, I, I I do think that wide receiver talent matters way more. Uh, than it does at, at another uh, position like running back. And and I'm so glad that you alluded to DeAndre Hopkins because he was one of my biggest surprises that you had on your cell show. And, Me too. And then he even came up again on the open bar. J. Mike brought it up and mentioned you because he's a listener. And I quote, he said, he said, DeAndre Hopkins is a top two wide receiver. And He's not my number two. Yeah. So, you know, I, the, the way that I am viewing DeAndre Hopkins right and, now. And he, he it was speaking with love. Like, it wasn't like an attack at you at all. He was yeah, just no, kind I of mean, like bringing it up as a conversation piece. I don't want yeah, to like, think there were no shots fired at all. I mean, look, people people can and should uh, have some shots fired. That's what it makes it fun. Um, no, I mean, look, the, the DeAndre Hopkins sell um, – the, the cell uh, uh, recommendation on the show this past week was really driven towards looking at uh, where, what you can get in return for some of these guys. One of the things that I, I looked at in January and did a podcast on was, was how things have been trending in terms of uh, elite wide receiver play in fantasy football. And what the data showed is that over the last decade, we saw elite wide receiver play be very, very important and hit a peak maybe in 2016. I can't remember the exact year, but elite wide receiver play hit a peak. And since over the last few years, we've seen that elite wide receiver, the the number of truly elite wide receivers giving you an edge in fantasy football dwindle. Uh, This year, it was basically Michael Thomas. If you had Michael Thomas, great. You know, you're obviously going to say you need an elite wide receiver to do well in fantasy football because Michael Thomas was far and above better than any other wide receiver. Yeah. Carrying your team. Yeah. Right. And truly, you know, generally in these instances, I tell people to do the opposite of what uh, seems to be the way to approach this. Let me give you an example. If there are fewer wide receivers that are elite in fantasy football, 
that means that if you have one of those wide receivers, then you're getting an inherent advantage at the position, right? So while everyone's saying, oh no, wide elite wide receivers are dying, I don't need an elite wide receiver because uh, they're, they're, they're not in existence anymore. No, you should actually hypothetically strive to get one of those wide receivers. But the problem is at this point, there, there really aren't, you know, you, you, there, there's such a low hit rate of finding that wide receiver. This is more specific to redraft, but it still sort of uh, uh, falls and spills over into Dynasty. But there are, are so few wide receivers that are that are truly giving you that edge year over year, and it's becoming smaller and smaller every season, that your hit rate and trying to find that guy becomes very, very small. It's not optimal to do that anymore. So even if you look at DeAndre Hopkins' 2019 season, he was, given given what we know about DeAndre Hopkins, arguably the most, I, I think he's the most talented wide receiver in the league. You have to push that aside. Look at look at the production and look at what DeAndre Hopkins did this year. DeAndre Hopkins' numbers weren't even far off from DJ Moore's. They they weren't they they were almost identical to DJ Moore's. He just found the end zone three more times. DeAndre Hopkins did, and right. DJ Moore playing, playing with a backup quarterback. Right, yeah, Kyle. Allen. And then and then if you look at DeAndre Hopkins with Will Fuller. His numbers are are worse. He, he averages two fewer fantasy points per game over the last two years with Will Fuller. He averages two fewer targets per game. His target share drops by over 5% with Will Fuller in the lineup. Obviously, Will Fuller hasn't been able to stay healthy, but if Fuller's healthy, then all of a sudden DeAndre Hopkins isn't giving you that elite consistency that you absolutely need if you're going to invest in a player at, in a wide receiver and invest that much into that wide receiver. So I, you know, historically, I've built my dynasty teams around stud wide receivers. And does um, Kenny Stills worry you at all there? Yeah, I mean, he's another player that that you know, the more mouths that are there, the 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 worse it generally will be for an elite wide receiver in some way. I mean, look, elite wideouts. I've looked at the data, and their target shares aren't going to fluctuate to a point where like they're under twenty five percent. Let's say the the target share, uh, no matter the competition that's there, you know, OBJ is always going to see volume because he's OBJ and he's, he's great. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, always going to see volume. Michael Thomas, always going to see volume, but you're really looking for those peak seasons and that, that peak target share where they can really take off. And we saw that with Michael Thomas this year and, and with Will Fuller there, we, we see DeAndre Hopkins pretty consistently take a hit in target share. And that's, what's driving this game. So to me, you're looking at Hopkins who's getting older. He's not, you know, I'm not sitting here saying that, I don't think DeAndre Hopkins is going to be, you know, the number three wide receiver over the next three years, let's say. Right. Mm -hmm. I think that's true. I'm looking this more looking at this more from the perspective of you can get a haul for DeAndre Hopkins. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You can get you can get DJ Moore plus a lot. Right. And given what we saw, I love DJ Moore. So he's an easy example for me to use. And uh, given the, the production that he had this year, kind of underrated production. Um, it's an easy sort of comparison to make and to draw, but uh, I just think now's a, a decent time to at least, if you have DeAndre Hopkins, I have DeAndre Hopkins in Dynasty. If you have DeAndre Hopkins, just see what what's out there, see what you can get, because at this moment in time, we're seeing the the elite wide receivers sort of flatten. You know, there's not that that advantage like we've seen in the past. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like you were talking about the quarterback twos um and that point difference i mean sometimes if you right. look at it you're like oh he's quarterback 25 or uh wide right. receiver 25 excuse me but then you look at like wide receiver 12 and you're like that's not that big of a difference exactly like one of the big things that i think the fantasy industry needs to stop with is referencing how a player finished within their position the previous season yeah. when they say things like this guy finished at rb 13 rb 13 doesn't matter right, right. like 
RB13 is not much different than RB25. It's similar to wide receivers, even flatter. You know, you, you, you barely see, you know, it's a very like linear drop off at wide receiver where, you know, each position that you go down, you know, wide receiver three to four to five, to, et cetera, you know, that, that drop off is pretty uh, similar from one player to the next. Whereas at running back, you see a dramatic drop off after those elite guys. So if you do have those elite players, they absolutely are giving you the biggest edge in fantasy football. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I still want some knock though. Like I want to like <laughs> look. I do too. He's great, right? Like he's awesome. I, I I always want DeAndre Hopkins. You know, my the the sell recommendation isn't me saying I don't want DeAndre Hopkins. Right. It's it's me saying you know I'm weighing all of this and trying to 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 have a. I think the line that I used on the show was something along the lines of like, uh, our fantasy roster isn't just one guy, right? Our lineup isn't just one player. Of course, we want DeAndre Hopkins. Of course, we want any elite wide receiver but we're filling nine plus roster spots in our starting lineup and we need all of those spots to be good. Yep. So the, the cell that you had that I liked the best and it's carry on Johnson. So I wanted to talk to you really quick about, and this is all probably over the last month or so I've been trying so hard to get rid of my carry on Johnson shares. Same, man. Yeah. I finally got rid of my last one. I think like a week or two ago, um, but, but I'm so happy to be out. So happy that somebody showed me an orphan team with carry on Johnson on it. And it was a deal breaker. Yeah. And, um, it was, I felt like it was hard to get out of him actually. Like the deals I'm going to, I'll throw at you. Um, mind you, like they weren't, I mean, this is like going through a league to the point where I probably went too far and everybody knew I didn't want him anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so the first one I moved him for. I got Brandon Cooks and Bell, and oh, I fun. gave away Carrion, Royce Freeman, and a twenty twenty third. I would I would take that the, the the side that you got. Yeah, and and that's like, another sure. crazy thing about Carrion to me is I mean somebody like Le'Veon Bell had a better season this year than and it wasn't even a good Bell season. Yeah, but it was still better than Carrion Johnson's career. Yeah, I mean, look, Le'Veon Bell over the next two or three years, I I would expect more so a two-year window, but I wouldn't be, I mean, would we, we would probably expect Le'Veon Bell to outperform carry on Johnson. Yep, yep. Yeah. And, and Brandon Cooks is obviously a buy low for yeah. a lot of reasons. Um, I like that a lot. But I felt like I needed a little bit of depth at wide receiver as well. And um, and as far back to Bell, like I kind of want to buy low on anything that Gase is attached to and he might not be forever. I um, like the bell. I like the bell by low. I, I thought about um, him hard whenever I was, I, I at least wanted to like drop his name when I was talking specifically about some of the running backs that I talked about on the cell podcast. Yeah. It's, it's hard because people don't even want to hear it. Yeah, exactly. You know, you, you have to weigh like the, not, not really like I'm, I'm very, very transparent on that show and, and the advice that I give, I really just want to like I, I always talk about I, I just brain vomit. You know, I just want to like let everyone know what's going on inside my brain. I don't want to filter the things I say. But, um, you know, sometimes there are are things that, you know, you don't want to Le- Le'Veon Bell is one of those players that might be hard to statistically sell yep. to, to come up with the, the reasons. But then you just kind of feel that that there's that buy opportunity there. Yeah. You might probably aren't buying an RB one with Bell anymore. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, and then the other one I gave up a lot more. Um, so, but I in this trade I ended up with Nick Chubb and a twenty twenty second. Okay. And I traded away DJ Shark, Carry On Johnson, and Mike Williams. Okay. 
I wanted out bad. Um, I'm super deep at wide receiver on this particular team, and I wanted Chubb, and I got that 20-22nd, but I gave up Shark, Mike Williams, and carry on. Yeah, I mean, depending on team construction, I get it. I think straight up, I would probably probably end up taking the carry on in the wide receiver side but if it fits your it's not like an egregious trade to the point where if it doesn't fit your team i was done i couldn't get rid of carry on for the life of me even this guy kept saying during the trade and i had to kind of try to like dodge what he would say it's just like oh i just don't know how i feel about putting carry on on my team and it went from like giving you this player to mike williams and then he let on that well i'm a jags fan and i'm like okay how about dj shark and it was kind of like done deal and i like dj shark a lot though to be completely honest with you yeah that's how i kind of am right now with keenan allen i've i have a couple keenan allen teams and i i sort of want to sell and just get get like move on and it's almost it's it's a lot harder than you think it's one of the he's one of those players where his ADP is a lot higher than what you can actually get for him. Right. And then is Tyrod Taylor throwing the ball for exactly. a minute? Right. Or and, and, and generally speaking, like I would buy into that ambiguity to a degree because I because like I said earlier, I think that wide receiver talent usually ends up winning out. And I think Keenan Allen's a very talented wide receiver. Yep. Um, so usually I would buy into that sort of ambiguity. But just given the way the teams that I have him on are constructed, I'd rather not have him. But then I try to get rid of him, and it's almost impossible. Like like at, at a at a true fair market value, it's almost impossible. Yep. And and so this is the last one, and the one I am probably the least happy with. But it's also really the most recent one. Like so, you have to think like it's getting harder and harder to sell carry on kind of as all this went on and that was even before you threw him on your sell list so i'm glad i got rid of him and but all i got for him on this one was marquise brown and a 2024th but all i, I gave mean, up was carry on yeah that's 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 cool, cool and, and that's that. kind of how i felt like he was kind of hobbled that offense is going to be moving i'm talking about marquise brown yeah um he's a wide receiver and he's probably going to be in the league a little bit longer. I know he's on the smaller side, but um, I was just ready to be done and be carry on free. Yeah, I, I feel you. I mean, I like I said on the show, on my podcast, I think that Detroit is a very very dark horse. Like it's not an expectation spot where where they're going to take one of the top running backs in the class or anything like that. But I wouldn't be totally shocked if they spent a day two pick on a running back. Yeah. I hope they do. And I mean, I'm a, I'm a Lions fan. I'm in Michigan. So by all means, like I don't want carry on to fail. And that's probably one reason, like I I had so many carry on shares, but then as you're watching it and you're really digging into the numbers, you're, uh, Bo Scarbo, I think, I I think it's 87. I think he had 87 touches and he's averaging 4.2 yards per carry in the same damn offense that carry and carry on can't get over 3.6 this year. And everybody wants to blame it on the offense, but you're like, well, this guy's doing it. And he just showed up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, the, at the end of the day, volume drives running back production. Uh, and, I mean, volume drives everything, but, mm-hmm. but volume at the running back position is, is much more a coaching decision, you know, than it is at wide receiver, for instance, because wide receivers need to get open in order to see a target, which is why targets are a skill statistic. Yeah, that's one open. of the, I love that. I, I even have it written down in quotes in my scattered notes here. Nice, nice. Yeah, you know, it, it's a it's a skill statistic. They have to be open in order to, to get targeted, whereas a running back just needs to be on the field in order to, to see a carry, right? Yep. Um, and, and with on Johnson, we now have a two-year sample of him getting injured both years and him not really... There was a three-week stretch this past year 
where the Lions decided to feature him a lot more and give him like an 80 to 82% running back rush share, you know, a higher number, you know, not not like a CMC level workhorse uh, volume, right. from a volume perspective, uh, but they were giving him a lot more. And then he gets hurt, like right after they start doing that. You have to think, you know, you have to put yourself in the coaching staff in the front office's shoes. You have to think that that they're they're not feeling great about the fact that he's been hurt two years in a row and they might be questioning whether or not he can handle a full workload. And if he can't handle a full workload, then carry on Johnson's just sort of in that RB two purgatory. He's never going to be that that higher end RB one that you absolutely need in fantasy football to really right. you know, have that edge. And, and which is fine. Like we all have RB twos and sure, we have yeah. some that we like more than others, but and that's like you said, with a healthy season. And then you look at somebody like Sony Michelle. He had two hundred and forty four carries last year. He was actually an RB two, but we still want carry on more. To me, yeah. that's just ludicrous. And I know that we're not getting what we wanted out of Sony, but he's in that Patriots offense, and Belichick, I think, is going to use him to his skill set. And I think that Sony's a fine RB, too. I would trade you carry on for Sony straight up and eat, drink whatever is making me crazy because I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm fine with that. He's some shown bold, it two years in a row. Yeah, look, I, I, I understand. I, I would say that you can easily make the argument. That Sony Michelle is a better value right now in drafts than Carry on Johnson is. Yep, completely. Uh, so, Geis or Carry on? Um, I'd probably <laughs> still lean. I'd probably still lean Carry on. But, but a lot of it, though, when I think about this stuff, a lot of it is who would I, who would I actually rather have on my team, just given the 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 market value of that player, mm -hmm. right? Rather than right, like I, I wouldn't be shocked if Geis outperforms them in that three-year window, um, but I would probably rather just have carry on because of the perceived value. Yeah, and listening to your show, I mean, that's where my head went, and because of carry on being on and off the field so much, like, and I wanted to ask you though, and I should have just brought it up this way, but would you rather have the guy that's been on and off the field or the guy that's ended his season with a couple bigger injuries? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think they're both. They both have question marks around them I, I would say though that that i have more confidence that washington would end up featuring guys than at this point than detroit featuring carry on yeah yeah i'm like, with I, you. I think that his i think guys's ceiling is higher but i think his floors is lower i added to the carry on johnson side in that same league i got marquise brown to try to get guys and he wouldn't do it yeah that's how hard it got to sell him I, yeah. I, and i thought it was like Oh, easy. I've got guys coming my way. I just overpaid. I'm still happy with it, but nope, not right. at all. Yeah. Um. So my biggest surprise, like I, this one, like really, I almost didn't even want to bring it up because I don't even like talking about this guy. My biggest surprise buy that you had is definitely Damian Williams. Yes. Let's talk about it. Oh, well, it's not just that Mahomes has outrushed him over the two years that worries me. <laughs> But it's part of that. Fair. It's fair. Look, the, the, it's it's a complete market value driven transaction, right? The the uh one of the cells on the show this past week was Raheem Mostert, as you yep. as you heard. And I, I like that one. I agree. And and he's a great sell because I mean he you look at his yards per carry. You have so many like sales pitches you can throw out there at the sure, guys. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You can easily sell sell a guy like that. Um, you know, aside from the fact that I accidentally called him 38 years old on the show this past week, <laughs> um, 
but yeah, so like like if you look at Damian Williams versus Raheem Mostert, if you look at Dynasty League Football's uh, January ADP, I think they just came out their February ADP. But if you look at the January ADP, so this was before the playoffs happened, or at least the Super Bowl happened. Mm-hmm. Um, Damian Williams was like eight spots, nine spots below Raheem Mostert in in startup ADP, and to me that was borderline shocking. Uh, because even when they were drafting, you know, it was towards the end of the last season, towards the end of the regular season, we saw Damian Williams basically become the, uh, the, the workhorse, if you will, in that, in that back, uh, LaShawn McCoy was inactive. They just started giving Damian Williams a really high running back rush share and target share in that offense. Um, and the way that I see the situation with Damian Williams, like versus a Raheem Mostert is we know that Kyle Shanahan and in that offense, unless they get a stud running back, which if they get a stud running back, then Raheem Mostert is completely irrelevant anyway. Uh, but we know that they want to split that backfield up. We saw that every single week this season, the highest individual running back rush share didn't top 80% uh, in, in a single game this year at the running back position. Uh, it's a split backfield. That's how they're going to run things. That that means that Raheem Mostert's ceiling, I know this was a Damian Williams question, but it's easier. No, to you're fine. Comparisons. So we know that Raheem Mostert's ceiling is capped in some way. Damian Williams, though, is almost like a galaxy brain buy because everyone in the world, you know, I, I sent a, a poll out this week before I, I published my podcast saying, who would you rather have in Dynasty, Raheem Mostert or Damian Williams? And I got all these responses saying, I want neither guy. You know, I don't want, of course, you don't want either of these guys, hypothetically. Like they're both, you know, <laughs> Raheem Mostert's, they're both going to be 28 years old. Like they're, they're not guys who had high draft capital. They broke out late in the NFL. Like, of course you don't like, or you're not actively looking for the, but that's the point, right? Like that's the point is that no one really wants Damian Williams per se. They're not actively trying to trade for Damian Williams. That, that makes his value go down. That makes his cost go down. So it's a lot easier to acquire Damian Williams when we've seen now two seasons in a row where at the end of last season, Damian Williams becomes a workhorse. He's averaging like 25 PPR points per game into the playoffs. This past year, he does similar things. He's seeing a huge, huge snap share, workload, all of the above. But what happened in between was they were kind of mixing things up with LaShawn McCoy and seeing what was going on. And Damian Williams was hurt. That was what that was the main thing that happened in between what happened at the end of last year and then what happened at the end of this year and into the Super Bowl. So to me, it's worth the risk of, you know, we can sit here and say Kansas City is going to draft a running back with a, a top two day pick this year. Um, we can speculate on that. But we also said the same thing last year. And we also say the same thing for a lot of teams all the time. We all think that we know way more than we actually do about how teams are going to draft, who they're going to draft, what positions they're going to draft. So I'm taking it from the reverse angle and saying Damian Williams has a chance. There's a chance that Damian Williams could be a workhorse running back for one season with the best quarterback in the league in one of the most dynamic offenses in the league. And you can get him at a running back 41 price tag. So why would you not just go after that, especially if you're in win now? Five players outrushed Damian Williams' six-year career this year. Yeah, look, he hasn't been a productive guy on the ground, especially. His skill set is definitely more geared towards being a pass catcher. There's no doubt there. Um, And that's really where the value comes in from a PPR perspective. And it's really the the value in that offense, uh, because the offense we know loves to uh, create a lot of motion uh, and, and and put guys uh, put guys in motion and then throw those shorter dump offs and, and create space on those shorter plays. And that helps guys like Damian Williams out. Um, that's what helped Kareem Hunt out as a receiver in that offense. Kareem Hunt was an unbelievably efficient receiver in that. He's a great receiver and he's a great running back, but he was unbelievably efficient the year that he ended up getting suspended and cut by 
Kansas City. Yep. Um, and, and that's really what you're latching on to is you're saying, I'm not expecting him to put up Kareem Hunt-like production. I don't know if they use him that way. But if Damian Williams can can be 80% of that, that he should be valued in the in the RB20s right now, like easily. And and he's being valued in that RB, you know, he's like a RB4. I, I'd rather have carry on Johnson. <laughs> than Damian Williams. <laughs> yeah. And that's not saying much. Um I, I, I just can't get on board. Like so you mentioned Hunt though. Do you think there's any chance that Hunt ends up back in Kansas City? I don't think in Kansas City, no. I, I, I don't I don't really know what is gonna happen there because I think that <clears throat> it's just that a- additional layer of like we know that there are teams that need running backs, but mm-hmm. number one, it's a good running back class. Number two, uh we don't know that additional layer of if they want to take on what Kareem Hunt, you know, the baggage. And what about Buffalo? Do you think Buffalo brings in another running back, or do you think they'd really just give that to Singletary? I think that I know I, he's one of your buys, and I'm not trying yeah, to he was. go yeah, for that so side of it. But I was not a Singletary guy entering last year. Um, my model didn't really like him that much because receiving is a really big part of my prospect model, and he was not that much of a receiver in college. Um, and so I had some question marks then about his size as well. So there were some some issues with with uh, Devin Singletary, but I then I watched him and I completely changed my mind the way that I, I viewed Devin Singletary. And, and you you look at what he did this year. Uh, number one, they used him a lot as a receiver in Buffalo, which is big. Uh, but number two, you could argue that this was sort of like, as long as they don't add someone, I know that that was the, the crux of the question, mm-hmm. but you could easily argue that this was his floor season in a way because you had Frank Gore stealing some goal line work. Singletary only had like uh, two goal line rushes this year. Frank Gore was stealing goal line work. Josh Allen, a slightly outlier type season in terms of rushing uh, touchdowns. I know that he did it last year as well, but it it, it it's one of those instances where you don't know if he's going to be able to keep it up at this pace um so you can easily see those those touchdowns skewing into Devin Singletary's favor a little bit more and they were already using him as a pass catcher I don't think that they're going to add another running back but because that's a thought out there I mean I've seen uh I think McShay mocked like Swift to to a Buffalo or something this past month which I I thought was insane right um if there if that sentiment is out there and people believe that then I would be buying Devin Singletary as a result. Yeah. We'll have to see. I do the Rookie Fever show with Fenero, and we're always back and forth on this because he loves Singletary, and I just can't get on board. And, I mean, full disclosure, like, it might be – maybe it's unfair. I know McCaffrey's a smaller guy, but it's the 203 pounds that worries me. Yeah, I think it's fair. I mean, his, his like, ceiling comp for me coming out was, like, a Devontae Freeman, just given the size and and, and the fact that – those players generally don't hit ever. Um, we just it, it doesn't happen very often. But uh, at some point, you know, the, the way that that my my prospect model works, too, is that, like I said earlier, draft capital is really, really important at the running back position. And he had decent draft capital. Um, and then the way that he played this year, really efficient. He looked good. He was a good pass catcher. Um, all of that is, is why I think he's he's an intriguing buy. Um, so yeah, man, we've touched on a lot. Like I liked your Deontay Johnson buy. I mean, this has gotten all into your buys. I, I didn't even mean for it to completely <laughs> go good. this way. Like anything else you wanted to touch on? No. I mean, I, I think you, you touched on a good bit. Yeah. Okay. So would you rather have, or Marquise Brown and Josh Allen or DeAndre Hopkins? DeAndre Hopkins. I'm assuming you're talking super flex here. Yep. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah. I think I'm going to try to get that deal done. The yeah. The Hopkins team is a, a pretty um, quarterback-needy team. 
and I have Watson in that league, and then I have guys like Mitch Trubisky and uh, Haskins, you know, but yeah, I feel pretty good having Watson in that league, and I, I kind of want that stack. Yeah. Just for fun. And that would be my only Hopkins share. You've got a couple. I don't have any. I'm not ready to sell. Yeah, I have a couple. Definitely have proposed some stuff, but but no one's biting just yet. Well, JJ, thanks a ton for coming on. As I said a couple times, totally humbled by this. Had a great time with you. Tell them where to find you. Do a better job than I did. <laughs> I can uh, be found on Twitter at Late Round QB. Uh, I have my podcast. Uh, it's called the Late Round Podcast. Um, and then all my work, uh, written-wise, is over on numberfire.com. And I'm at DFF underscore swag. Follow at Super Flexible Pod and at FL2DreamMaker.